The Return of the Prodigal Son, probably one of the classic stories in the Bible. We've all heard it in some form or fashion. I'd like to explore this story, this parable, through three separate lenses. One is art, second is writing, and thirdly and peripherally, music. I'd like to talk a little bit about Rembrandt's famous painting, The Return of the Prodigal Son. I don't know if any of you have ever seen it. It's at the Hermitage in St. Peter's, put there by Catherine the Great. Probably composed and written and painted about in the last year or two of his life after he had had a very up and down career in his art. He had his waxed and waned, his early art was powerful, exuberant, joyous, painful. But as he got older, he began to lose his sight, but yet his paintings emerged through a sense of light into a separate grasp of reality of which God's kingdom was surrounding him. It really is a remarkable transformation. I'm not an art historian, but as I look through his paintings from the early years to the later years, you can see a perceptible shift in the way he experienced humanity, his own brokenness, and his longing for God. He had lost three children in childhood to various childhood diseases. He had lost two wives. His fame and his fortune was up and down. He depended upon patrons, and then he would get mad at his patrons and have a falling out. So there was an ebb and a flow to his life that was very real. Henry Nouwen, some of you may have read some of his work, was a famous uh, Catholic priest from Holland, interestingly enough, where Rembrandt was from. And I think he's one of the most powerful spiritual writers of the 21st century. He's now passed away. But he taught for many years at Harvard University. He taught comparative religion, spirituality, uh, health care, very gifted, internationally known speaker, leader, very much of a tortured soul in his career. And at the height of his career, he realized that he was the lost son. He wanted to walk away and re-find God, find his own heart. So the movement from Harvard to an internationally known academic, theologian, priest, and pastor, where does he go? He goes to a community of disabled people called La Arc, L-A-R-C-H, where he worked for the remainder of his life in a community living center dealing with severely mentally handicapped adult men. He went from fame to anonymity. But he talks about that movement from bystander of the world that he felt himself at when he was at Harvard to participate in the world of God's love. And that's the movement that Rembrandt captures so powerfully in his painting. Um, now instead, the movement from bypasser to persistent is the place of light, the place of truth, the place of love. It's a place where I want to be, but I'm so afraid of being. It's a place where I, I will receive all that I dare, all that I had ever hoped for, all that I will ever need. But it's also the place that I must let go of all that I must want to hold on to. It's the place that confronts me with the reality that accepting love, accepting forgiveness, and healing 
is actually much harder than giving it. It's the place beyond earning, deserving, and warning. It's the place of surrender and of complete trust. And it's really the place for Nowen where he found himself the, being the younger son who went away. If we could put the first slide of the Rembrandt painting up there. I think we have it. I hope we have it. There we go. This may be hard to see. It's a, it's a mysterious, dark painting with shadows and light. And obviously the center of the theme is the, the father He's dressed in red, the symbol of royalty and wealth, and the broken, dissolute son who has spent years on the road trying to find something, trying to find himself, maybe, as the country and western song, you know, look for all the love in all the wrong places. He, he was not sure what he wanted, but it, for darn sure wasn't at home with his father, so he left. Is he looking for fame, for fortune? Who knows? But at some point in his life, because of his circumstances, he found himself in the pig pen of life, and he needed to go home. There's a great song by Chris Christopherson, me and Bobby McGee. He talks about, what's freedom? Only thing left is nothing left to lose. The prodigal son was at the bottom. He had nothing left to lose, so he goes home. What about the other people in this portrait? What about the older son? You know, the Bible is full of stories of two people, two sons, Cain and Abel. Um, it's a constant theme of duality, probably, of what the older and the younger son represents. But the older son is the one off to the side. As you look at the picture, he's to the right. He's kind of in the shadows. He's in red, too, the symbol of royalty. Looks doesn't look very happy to me. The younger son, who had taken half of his birthright and wasted it, now wants to come back and get more. I think that's very curious. So the older son is, is there thinking, what the heck is going on here? This dude's been away, wasting our kingdom, wasting our father's, father's gifts, and now he wants to come back and participate? I don't think that's fair. You see, I think we both are the younger and the older sons. We do things out of a sense of duty sometimes, not out of a sense of love. So the older son, Kant called that the categorical imperative. He thinks that we have a duty to do things, and that for, therefore makes them right. He stayed because he perceived that was his duty. But now it points out that the hardest conversion of the human heart is not the one that's lost. Conversion of the heart is pretty easy when you're broken and you recognize it. Now and said the hardest part, the hardest conversion of the human heart is for the son who stayed behind. Now what a paradox that is. You would think all the blessings would be given to the one who stayed behind, but he's the one who needed God's love maybe even more than the son who had been living with the pigs. What a remarkable twist of the human story. And we talk about homecoming. A lot of people talk about this parable as one of homecoming, returning home. 
Homecoming is a lot about who we're called to be, our vocation. When I was teaching at Baylor, we spent a lot of time with our students talking about vocation. Vocation comes from the Latin word vocari. It means to be called. The thing about vocation and being called means there's a caller. And in our case, we think there's a divine caller. Now, does it mean that our life is road mapped out day by day, point by point? No. I don't think it does mean that. But I do think it means that there's a sense of the essence of who we are. We will always be loved by God. And that we're called to always come back to that. I've been reading this summer a, a great new biography of Abraham Lincoln called And There Was Light. And the thing that I learned in that biography wasn't as much the facts of Lincoln's life that he stepped up to the plate and managed an unbelievably complex historical circumstance. He felt that he was called to do something. He might not have understood all the nuances of how that was transpiring, but if you read his life, particularly in the 1850s, he was a nobody. But he had a sense that God was calling him to a purpose, a destiny. The Greek word had a word for that, telos, T-E-L-O-S. It means to be called into doing something. And for Lincoln, that something took place in the, wor the realm of the world. But... Lincoln had this unbelievable sense of destiny and purpose. And I always tell my students, vocation is different than occupation. Occupation is something we do to earn a living. That's what we get our paycheck from. Vocation is where we're called to live with our hearts. And it's a different place. That's what the prodigal son never quite grasped until he came home. He never quite grasped that his vocation wasn't to wander around in the desert, but he was hiding from his true vocation, which was his home. I had a student once I was counseling at Baylor. She was first-generation Nigerian family, came to the States. She was born in Fort Worth, went to a very prominent day school there. But she had heard from the time she was born that she was going to be the first generation of her family to go to college and then to go to medical school. So that was her story, her narrative. She was a brilliant student, 4.0 pre-med student, acing it out, scored high on the MCAT, shoe-in to get into medical school. She came to me her senior year and said, Dr. Addis, I can't do this. I want to be a high school teacher. Her true vocation was in teaching, not in medicine. And I said, your parents are going to probably hate me and want their tuition back, but you need to switch to education to become a high school teacher. She finally was learning to listen to the heart, the calling of her true vocation. And that's the hardest message we have to hear. It's not about what we major in. It's not about where we live. It's not about what we do to earn a living. It's how we respond to God's presence in our lives. We're like the prodigal son. We're trying to go home again. And I think that separation, though, that leaving the first son, of course, before he can come home, what does he have to do? He left. We always tell our children, go away, fly. Learn who you are. 
I think that leaving is important, but the homecoming is equally as important. Leaving is about more than individuation. In psychology, we, we say that's good for kids. It's good for people to learn what they are, who they're called to be. But I would submit that the return home is just as important as the leaving. Not to the physical home, not to the geographic home, but to the home that's the essence of who God is and who God is calling us to be in response to that individual love, that incredible, immense, radical, life-affirming love. Thomas Merton called that journey the journey between the true self and the false self. Leaving home is about entering into the world of the false self for a while. But at the end of that day, we're called to re-engage our true self, Merton called it, the self that God made us, the self that this broken, bald, skinny, wasted kid that's been on the road for years is before we can come home. So the challenge isn't to love. That's the easiest thing to do. Sometimes the hardest thing to do is to let ourselves be loved. It's a different journey. I want to talk a little bit about the Father because now instead we all have the potential to be the younger son, the older son, and the Father. Now that's a presumptuous, dangerous thing to say. We become God. I don't think that's necessarily what Henry is trying to say in this. If you look at this picture, and you may have to go on your home computer and blow it up, one of the remarkable things about the father in this story are his hands. The left hand is strong, muscular. And I don't really know whether Rembrandt was right-handed or left-handed. It doesn't make any difference. But the right hand is smaller, graceful, almost effeminate. And some art historians have said that's the way Rembrandt is capturing the masculine and the feminine inside of God. We see light, and looking at this painting in, in different light as it comes through the windows, it changes. The people in the background become visible. There's four other characters besides the father and the son in this, this remarkable painting. You don't see some of the people in the background. But with light, we, it's like Rembrandt, as he was getting older, he began to lose his vision. So he paints himself in this, this kind of ineffable light. And I think we do have the capability to be any of these characters in our best and in our worst moments. In our worst, we're the, the son who wanders away and gets lost. In our best, we want to go back home. In our worst, we're the older son who's saying, I want my inheritance. I'm, I stayed here and worked for it. You went away and wasted yours. But in our best, we can become like the Father who says, welcome home. Come on back. You were lost, and now you're alive. We have the potential to be any of these three main characters. We can live, as Meacham says in one of his other books, into our brighter angels. We, I've seen people in medicine doing remarkably courageous, heroic, crazy acts of radical love. Yes, that's what God does. Every day. But we can wander away, but we 
eventually have to come back home again. Closing, I don't, one of my favorite things to do sometimes when I'm bored at night is to look at old rock videos. <laughs> I love them. It's one of the great things you can waste time with, I guess. But One of the great Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young songs is You Who Are On The Road, Love Your Children. You Who Are On The Road must have a code you try to live by. So become yourself. The past is just a goodbye. Teach your children well. That's what you all do every day. Their father's hell did slowly go by. Feed them on your dreams. The ones they pick, the ones you'll know by, don't you ever ask them why. If they told you, you would cry. So just look at them and sigh and know they love you.